The Word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the Word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our Saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's Word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. Jesus, where he's supposed to be. And then you knew it was Christmas because the baby Jesus was here. And for, so for me, that whole search for the Saviour, that's so part of my Christmas story. Because that's, it's Christmas. It's properly Christmas now because the baby Jesus is in his manger. And we know, church, we know Jesus is the reason for the season. We know, right, we can say that. Off we all know that as church, we put the Christ in Christmas. But I feel like we can have that very down pat that that's what we know without really being a people who search for our saviour. So this morning, I just want us to think a little bit about how we can do that this Advent season. It's really interesting because I had written down um, in my notes a line from Amazing Grace, and then we sang it. Nice. Thanks, Lord. I once was lost, but now am found. We sang it. It's true. It is true. You were once lost, And if you have decided to follow Jesus, if you have allowed him to be saviour in your life, you are now found. The story of the lost sheep, Jesus left those 99 to come find you. He did the seeking for you. He came to find you because he loves you. And so there's an attitude where really it's like, why do we have to look? Because that's what he did for us. I didn't do that. He did it for me. He searched for me. He came for me. But Revelation 3 verse 20 says this, look. Here I stand at the door and knock. If you hear me calling and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal as friends. You have probably got lots of meals with friends, but in your diaries this Christmas, like it's insane. Everybody suddenly, I don't know why we all catch up this time of year and make the diary so ridiculous, but you'll be having a lot of meals with friends over this period. But the one we really want to have is that one where we've opened the door to Jesus and he's come in and shared a meal with us as friends. Jesus does not make himself hard to find, okay? You don't have to, like, lift up the cushions per se. I remember there was a game of hide-and-seek I played as a child once, and I lay on a top bunk underneath a duvet, and, like, I literally didn't breathe up very still, and nobody found me. How, like, and then what do you do if no one finds you in hide-and-seek? I don't know. You just sort of, like, reappear to him. It's like, hi. Um, Okay, Jesus is not deliberately hiding under a duvet and not moving. He's knocking. He wants you to find him. And as I grow older, um, one thing I'm learning a lot about is, like, what's on me and what's not on me? Like, what is my responsibility to do? And there's a lot of stuff that previously I thought really was on me to do that is not on me at all. And sometimes you have to start letting those things go. But what is on me from what Revelation is saying? I've got to get up out of my comfy sofa, most likely, and open the door. So there's something still on me. Jesus finds me, but he knocks, but there's still a responsibility I have to answer that knocking. And I think sometimes for us, we can all relate to this experience, right? You lose your mobile phone, and you've put it somewhere, and you can't find it, and so you ring it, and you can hear it ringing, but they deliberately set it up so you can't quite get to it before the ring goes off, right? And so you're looking for it, and you're like, I've located it to this floor of my home, and now I have to ring it again. 
and now I've located it to this, and now I have to ring again, and now I've located it. And so you have to keep looking for that phone by keeping ringing it. You can hear the noise, but it eludes you, the actual location. And I think that's what it can be like. We can hear Jesus knocking, but sometimes it's like the mobile's under the cushion, and you just got to keep looking. You have to keep pressing through. And sometimes this language of, I once was lost, but now I'm found, or yes, I, I am found, like I once was lost. It, it can sometimes help us, and it can sometimes hinder us, because sometimes it stops us to be continually searching and continually seeking. We once were lost, but now we are found. That is an unmitigatable truth. Salvation is not dependent on anything you do. Salvation is dependent on what the baby grew up to do on the cross. We will stay found, but that does not mean that Jesus always stays in our sight line just because we have found him once. So at the end of November, many of you probably had the same experience that you got through the post, the Sparks card 20% off day. Yes, I love the Sparks card 20% off day. And I always feel like I'm very privileged because I have my voucher and I can have 20% off anything in store. And then I remember they do send you six of those to give to friends and family. So probably there are no people in the area who do not have access to said discount. However, Every year I am a mug and I do go to Marks and Spencers to claim my 20% off because I like to save. And I started back at work recently and apparently school-run sweatshirts do not an office wardrobe make. And so I did think Marks and Spencers do some very sensible cardigans and I have 20% off. So I took Abigail and Benjamin who needed new school trainers to Marks and Spencers and we were walking through to go pay for our many things that we were getting a discount on. And one minute Benjamin was there And the next minute, Benjamin was not there. Like, split second, he was gone. And Benji is a hider. He does like like a bit of Marks and Spencers burying in the coats. Here I am, mummy. (laughs) So I wasn't wasn't panicking because Benji hides. And so I'm like, Benji, like, on my merry way. But then I'm queuing up and he's still not reappeared. And so Abigail's like, I I don't know where Benji is. So maybe my voice gets a little bit more shouty. And maybe we start to move a few things. And I go from that expectation that he's hiding in those coats and I'm going to pretend to be really surprised when he jumps out, even though I knew he was there, to somebody has bundled up my small child and taken him out of this store while I've been trying to buy things in this very busy environment because everybody's got their voucher. Now, Benjamin was still there and I was still there, but in between us was a ton of customers and coats and clothes, and I couldn't see him. I had taken my eyes off the precious thing to get on my merry way and get my job done. I had taken my eyes off my precious thing and I couldn't see him anymore. And it's horrible, and we've all been there. And I am not the only parent in this room, I imagine, with a lost child story. I found him. It's fine. He was by the coats. He could hear my voice, but he didn't want to move in case I couldn't find him. It's fine. He's good. There will be more of you in this room with a lost child story. And praise the Lord, so did Mary and Joseph had one. So I feel so much better about that because <laughs> it's in the Bible. Okay, so let's read it. It's from Luke 2, 41 through 50. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth. But Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was with friends among the other travellers. But when he didn't show up that evening, 
they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later, they finally discovered him. He was in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers, discussing deep questions with them, and all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. That's me and Marks and Spencers. But why did you need to search, he asked. You should have known I would be in my father's house. But they didn't understand what he meant. They misplaced the son of God for like a whole day. They did not know he was with them. They had the sensible reaction when they realised he wasn't there, right? They go to his friends, have you seen him? Like, is he with you? No, he's not. So they go to the relatives and then they like retrace their steps. That's all sensible. That's what we do. We do the obvious sensible thing to try and find him. They're doing everything in the show. We've been frantic. Yes, you would be frantic after three days of not knowing where your child was, especially since you've been like entrusted with the son of God and then you did not know where he was. Like, I would be a little bit frantic. Like, do, do you pray when, I'm really sorry I lost him. I, I don't know. I feel like a lot of times we can be quite frantic trying to fill that gap, fix the problem, make the next step, plan it, get it sorted. And we're looking for Jesus. Sometimes we're not, but we kind of think we are. And, and we're doing everything in the sensible step, doing the obvious things, looking where we think. And I think we have two things we can think about this morning. Sometimes we're like Mary and Joseph back on day one. We're going home because that's what we're supposed to do. We've done what we're supposed to do. This is the next logical step of what we're supposed to do. But they didn't even realize his presence wasn't with them. How many times, church, do we go about what we assume is the next step and his presence isn't with us and we don't even realize? We're just, we're a day away from him. Like, that we need to wake up. Or we're like they are on day three. Like they are shouting. They probably haven't got voices left by this point. Like they've been looking around Jerusalem for three days trying to find him. That's terrifying. Busily frantic and our well-intentioned seeking, looking in all the obvious places. But really are we searching for our saviour? And so this morning, I think the nativity story can be so helpful to us. And I know you've heard it before. We all have. But it helps us to search for our saviour, because everyone who searches in that story finds him. And their journey looks different. And we need to do what they did. Not because you haven't found Jesus before, because you have. You have found him. But once you've found him once, it only reminds you how much you need him. It's not like a one-time-fits-all thing. It's like everything. You need him in that. You need to search for him. And so we need to think, what did their journey of searching look like? And what can we learn from that because just like them they were so different you guys are all different you are all searching for him in different ways but we all need to learn how do we search so that we find because we need to find him so I want to start by thinking about Joseph the book of Matthew starts with with the story of Joseph and the first half of the first chapter of the book of Matthew lays out Joseph's whole genealogy like going right back to Abraham Despite the fact that Matthew then goes on to say, Jesus is not biologically related to this man at all. But he still lays out that whole, like, let's go back all the way to tell you who Joseph is. And that kind of shows us Joseph has a good pedigree. Like, he's related to some good people. Read the first bit of Matthew. Like, that's a good family tree to have. 
He's made a really good choice in his future wife because he picked the same person God does. Like, that's good. If you're like asking for dating advice, you want, like, that's good. You've picked the same person, God. Well done, Joseph. Good choice. And he makes good plans. He's planned to marry her. He's, he's planning. He is all sorted. But Proverbs 19, 21 says this, you can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. So Joseph has planned. He's planned who he's going to choose for his wife. He's got this background. He's planned his life. He's a carpenter. He's all sorted. And then God's like, no, I am just totally ripping up all of your plans, all your security. Everything you thought you had sorted is not really such. And even after this girl who he's chosen, who he's betrothed to, is pregnant with someone he knows is not his child, he still wants to do the right thing. Matthew 1.19, Joseph, being a just man, decided to break the engagement quietly so as not to disgrace her publicly. He is still that good guy. He's got that good pedigree, good choices, good plan. I'm doing the good thing. And I think a lot of us can be like that. We're capable. We're organized. We like to know what's what, how things are going to work out. I've thought ahead. I'm mitigating risk. Um, I can cope with change. I've done good change management around this situation. And therefore, I can plan out the next stage. These are all God-given gifts. There's nothing wrong with them. But when it came to Joseph having to really search for his saviour, he had to watch all his plans, everything he had thought, everything traditionally he would expect to happen, be totally obliterated. And... um, when those angels came to him, we were talking about Joseph, actually, in Youth Academy last week, and Noah had been tasked with thinking a little bit about Joseph. And one thing he really noticed, so I'm crediting him with this teaching point, which I have taken from a teenager, is that um, Joseph responded so differently to an angel when Zechariah, who is a priest, who is in the temple, he's in the Holy of Holies, and the Angel Gabriel appears to him in a vision, like he's right there in front of him. And he's not sure about this change in plans. So he's just going to ask some questions to really suss out the angel. Joseph has a dream about an angel. He's not got this vision. He's not in a holy place. He's not a priest. But his response to a dream of an angel is, okay, yeah, I'll do it. I'll, I'll count the cost and I'll do it. And he believes, and he takes it, and he goes with God's plans. So he has to abandon what he thought to go with this dream. He has to release every single area of his life, his reputation. There is no way that all his mates were like, oh, yeah, that wasn't you, that was God. Like, his reputation was tarnished because of what was happening to her. He had to release his home. He didn't get to go back and live the life he thought he would. He goes to Bethlehem and then he goes on. He had to release his plan of bringing the child into environment. I don't think he was thinking, oh, midwife, this one. I think he probably thought, let's get the midwives to do that. He had to release his career, his stability, even his home country. And his willingness to do that as part of searching for Jesus, searching for his saviour, means that he can be the second Joseph, thinking about what the Bible shows us about this great story of redemption. The second Joseph who hears from God in dreams. The second Joseph who has to go to Egypt to keep the line alive. He goes back to the place that his ancestors fled in the Passover to protect that Passover lamb that was coming to save us. And so Joseph's search 
took him to his saviour, but away from his plans. And then we've got the shepherds. The shepherds and their safe place. I think the shepherds, if we're looking at like search, they're the ones who are least obvious to do much searching because the angels appear because heaven can't contain the glorious news that forever redemption plan is happening today. And so the angels come and it says this, Luke 2, verse 8. That night, some shepherds were in the fields outside the village guarding their flocks of sheep. And so I think for the shepherds, it's less about the way that they find out the news and process that and go through that journey. And it's more about the fact that they were outside. They were on those hills. Being a shepherd was not a nine-to-five job. They were away from people. They weren't really part of society. They weren't really belonging to anything. They weren't even where everybody else was. They were outside the village. And their value as people was not really in who they were, but in the animals they protected and whether they were kept safe. And sometimes when you're isolated... That's your safe place. It's safer being on your own and building up your defences. And isolation can become a safe place. And for the shepherds, they had to break out of that isolation to search for the saviour. They had to go to somewhere where maybe they didn't feel respected, they didn't feel valued, they didn't feel welcome. They had to take that step. And they did, because it says in Luke 2, 15 to 17, when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Come on, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this wonderful thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They ran to the village and they found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. And then the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. I don't know what their physical search looked like because it doesn't say. It just says they ran to the village. I don't know if they found the baby in the first stable they looked in. I don't know. But what I do know is their search meant that they had to move from where they felt safe to where it was probably a little bit more scary. And they had to put themselves back into that community that they weren't really included in. And they did because they told everyone. They made themselves part of the story. And when we're feeling isolated and rejected, whether that's through our own thoughts about ourselves or our situation and the enemy attacking us and saying, they will never understand what you are going through. They have never done the things you have done. You need to just hang back a little bit. Or whether it's because somebody else has hurt us, intentionally or otherwise. The easiest thing when we're feeling like that is to stay isolated, because that's our safe place. And coming back into community is hard. That is why we have the BTC Challenge. Because walking through doors, when you don't know anyone, that's hard. And maybe if you can just do it four times, that just makes it more of a habit. Not everyone finds this difficult, but there are those of us in this room for who walking into a big room full of people is like climbing a mountain because you don't feel safe. And sharing yourself, being vulnerable, opening yourself up to the possibility that other people can hurt you and let you down again, that is a tough journey to walk. But that's why the shepherd's story matters, because they did it. They, they took themselves out from where they had been put, and they put themselves right back in the middle where God could use their story and make them the spokespeople for what he was doing. Do not be afraid, said the angel. There is a reason he said that to them. Do not be afraid. Take that step, walking back into community, because the shepherd's search took them to their saviour, but away from their safe place. So they might not be obvious searchers. The very obvious searchers are the wise men. 
because they are experts in active looking. And we're going to think about the wise men and their expectations and experience. They've got their star charts. You always see the pictures of them. They always have star charts and telescopes and scriptures. They know everything they need to know to get results. And they are looking for a Messiah. They know what they're looking for. But they end up at the palace because the background of knowledge that they have led them to assume something. So it made sure that they saw the star because not everyone saw that star. They were looking. They were actively always looking for the, the news that he was coming. But their assumptions led them to the palace because that's where you would find a king. That's their educated assessment. And so they, they think they're going to know. Well, obviously, that's where he'll be. We've got this far by looking at the star and doing all the research. And so next step is obviously the palace. And he wasn't there. He wasn't there. As long-term Christians, some of us have got a, can slip into that. I've been there, done that attitude. Like, I know what to pray. I know what to do in this situation. I have read very many Christian books on this particular subject. I will go to this person who will tell me what to do. I can go to this many prayer meetings and that will mean that I have been in enough presence. Or maybe I don't need to go to that because I know what it will be like because I have experience and expectation. But I think sometimes we go to what we think will work, even if it is a godly thing and seems like it will give us godly answers. We go there rather than to our knees. And that makes us like the wise men because God's presence is not always found in our educated answers. We can do a lot of reading of a lot of stuff and do a lot of talking. I am good at talking. I can do a lot of that. But that does not mean I am finding God's presence in all the words that come out of my mouth. And Isaiah 55 verse 8 to 9 says this, My thoughts are completely different from yours, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. It is good news for us that this is who our God is. It's awesome that his thoughts are not my thoughts, because my thoughts are rubbish sometimes. My plans are rubbish sometimes, and my ways are not always the best, but his are. They are. It's good news for us. But the faith place of trusting in his plans, because they're not the same as my ones, even though I think my ones are quite good, is uncomfortable for us. It doesn't matter how long you have been a Christian, how many times you have read the Bible, how many really good Christian books you have read, the faith place is still uncomfortable and we have to put ourselves there. Searching for God's answers in the middle of a busy Christian life is still a challenge. And for us, this is something of the journey that we've been on as a family the past year because the last day of like Christmas, before the Christmas break last year, Steve came home, that's my husband, and he had been working in the same job for a long time. But he was getting increasingly more miserable. And we've all been in environments that are just not good for us. And we've tried and we've waited and it doesn't get any better. And it was a challenging environment for lots of reasons. The management style had changed significantly in a way that he was not comfortable with at all. He was quite disillusioned with where he was at. And he was getting to that point of just being a little bit broken by it. It was you can stay up so long and then you're just like, I can't see an end to this and everything I've tried is not making it get any better. And so we agreed we would pray over the Christmas break and see what God was saying. 
And Steve felt very clearly that God was telling him that 2018 would be a year where he would move on, which for him was massive because he'd been with that company for 30 years. Um, And so you start making plans. Okay, so we'll start looking for another job. And so he's knocking on doors and he's using contacts he has and he's applying for things and nothing is happening. Nothing's happening. Doors are remaining shut. And eventually he offered himself up for redundancy and did accept that without having a job to move on to. And so we were in a position where our main breadwinner as a family, because I had stayed home with the children, done a little bit of part-time, but like not enough to buy the weekly food, um, was in a position where we now didn't have that security. I'm a Joseph planner, I'll be honest. I, have, I like a plan. Jonathan can tell you I like a plan. I like to have my lists. I like to know where I'm going, what I'm doing. I have thought things out. So my gut reaction in this is very wise men experience. Well, we, we, need, we need to be finding you another job. You need to be getting on all the internet websites right now. So the first Monday that he had been made redundant, I was like, have you got, the, have you got your laptop out? Have you found your job? Have you been looking, have you been looking for your job? And he was like, it's fine. I'm just going to take the morning to pray. I'm going to have coffee with Jonathan this week. I'm like, okay. Have you been looking for a job? (laughs) His ways are not our ways. And God provided Steve with a job. We had a couple of months where he was out of work. And the job that he provided him with was not necessarily the job we were praying for because it was so much better. It's so much better than what we, I would have forced him to find with my nagging. Yes. God gives us the answers in more ways than we expect because his ways are not our ways. His ways are higher than ours. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And and because of that, it's enabled us to make decisions now that we didn't know at the beginning of the year that we were going to be making. But during this whole journey, the the way that other people reacted to sort of like, oh, yes, Steve's been made redundant, was really interesting because you you can see how experience and expectation forms people's ability to believe that it's okay and God's going to look after you and some people were very supportive and some people were very shocked and slightly panicky for us and experience dictates how we act to situations but it also leads us to search in the palace and so our search of looking for God in what's been happening to us through the last year has taught us very differently about how we respond to the experience we have and how much we let that dictate um, how we search and how we have faith and how we trust. And the wise men searched, took them to their saviour, but they had to stop looking in the palace. They had to turn away from their experience and their expectations. And so whatever your starting point for searching for your saviour is this morning, we are all on a journey. The nativity story is full of journeying. Mary's journey in particular stands out to me because she was on a donkey for five days, probably in the early stages of labour. And when I had my first child, I had to travel from Bromley North to the Pru in a Fiat Punto. And honestly, like I wanted to die. She was on a donkey for five days. Like that's the Lord bless her. But the journey is important and it's hard. And so maybe some of you this morning are in the Joseph place of knowing that God is asking you to lay aside some of your plans and your need to control, your need to know things and how things are going to work out, your need for security and surrender something to him 
the next thing that he's asking you to give up. And maybe some of you this morning are in the shepherd place of feeling like no one understands you and knowing that God's asking you to take a step closer to him, but in doing so, that's going to take you out of your safe place of protecting yourself with the walls where nobody can get to you and hurt you again. And maybe some of you are in a wise man place of knowing that you don't really know best and you have to find God's way and that might not be very easy for you. They're so different, these men, but they all needed to search. And it's important that we realize that they were all qualified to search no matter how different they were. So I grew up in this area and that often makes things interesting because you see people that like you knew when you were little and you're like, oh, there's so-and-so. Even last week, I was like, oh, she was in my brownie pack and there she is with a baby. I'm not going to say hello to her because I haven't spoken to her since I was seven. But, you know, it's weird when you grow up where you were little. And um, you revisit your childhood a little bit differently. And so one of the girls that I used to go to the Methodist church with back in the day, she has uh, children at where my kids went to preschool and where my kids currently go to primary school. And she is such a lovely, lovely lady. She's wonderful. She's kind. She's gentle. She's hospitable. She's generous. You would probably like to not like her because she has this gorgeous home, but she's just so nice. You can't not love her. She's a lovely, lovely lady. And um, she was hosting me for coffee morning just before Christmas a couple of years ago because she used to sell cards and stuff. So I used to go for coffee. And she still goes to that Methodist church that I used to go to. And so while we're there, she gets this phone call. And it's the Methodist church. And they say, oh, we were just wondering if one of your lovely daughters, and her daughters are very lovely, if one of your lovely daughters would mind finding the baby Jesus this year. Colour me shocked. You can't pre-plan who finds the baby Jesus. Honestly. So they told her where they were going to hide the baby. And then they said, tell her where to find the baby. And I, I did have to revert back to the source of all knowledge, who is my mother, and say, um, when I was little, did somebody get chosen to find the baby Jesus? No, they did not. It really bothered me. And I know it sounds ridiculous, but it bothered me that somebody who was very Instagram worthy would get chosen to be the one that finds the baby. And I know it sounds funny, but that is a lie. You do not have to be Instagram worthy to be the one who gets to find the baby. You can be a shepherd. You can be in mess. You can be smelling of sheep poo. It does not matter. You can still find the baby. It doesn't matter how beautiful things are or whether it takes a good photo. God shows up because he loves you, not because it looks pretty. And so if you feel particularly un-Instagram worthy this morning, do not talk yourself out of hearing for God. You are selected to find the baby. Mary was an unseen, unmarried young woman in a patriarchal society, in a small village, in an occupied land. And she understood that when God came, he was calling out the very people that no one was expecting to find him because she sang this. It's Luke 1. I'm going to read nearly the whole thing. Oh, how I praise the Lord, how I rejoice in God my Savior, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And now generation after generation will call me blessed, for he, the mighty one, is holy and he has done great things for me. His mercy goes on from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm does tremendous things. How he scatters the proud and haughty ones. 
He has taken princes from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. God does not discount people. He turns it on their head. He picks the ones that you think, oh, I'm not going to let the baby Jesus be found by that little kid. No, that's the little kid. He says, come on, find the baby. Come with me. He just needs us to be realistic in the fact that we do need to search and be ready to do so. We can learn a lot from Mary. It's really interesting when you, when you go to read the Christmas story, because it's only in two of the Gospels. You kind of think, like, oh, it should be at the beginning of all of them, because it's a very important story. But it's not. It's only in Matthew and Luke. But we can find all we need to know in those two accounts. But this verse always stands out to me whenever I read it. Luke 2, verse 19. Mary quietly treasured these things in her heart, and she thought about them often. Searching is not easy, and I think especially for us in our generation, in our day, some of this having to wait stuff, having to look, having to keep pressing on, like, we don't want to do that. Quiet treasuring, pondering, thinking often about things, that's not our default. And so that's why Advent is important, that's why this time, like, that's why the church has the time of Advent, like, get ready, he's coming, And each of the characters we looked at today, they had a journey. It wasn't just like, I'm going to find him. There he is. Good job. Great. Found my saviour. They had to go through a process. Now, when I was little, the Advent calendars we had, they were just pictures. I know. Can you imagine? We had the same one every year. And we opened the door. But I loved it. It's the Robin Tomorrow it's the star. And you opened it and it gave you the opportunity to do nothing more than ponder that thing because you're building up a picture of the big picture. And today's a donkey. Mary rode the donkey. That's, uh, you're pondering. The Advent calendars would teach you to ponder and treasure the things quietly in your heart. Think about it. Think about how good it is. There were no goodies. I am not passing judgment on anyone who has given their child an Advent calendar with things to open. My own children have a lint one, which Steve bought for them. And I'm a little bit like, that's very good chocolate for children. (laughs) Anyway, that doesn't teach them to ponder. It teaches them Christmas is all about what you get. And here is something else to get. Good job. Well done. It's not teaching, pondering, and binge-watching the whole series. We lose something of the deliciousness of waiting and searching and thinking about the thing we're desiring. And so while my early childhood Christmas memories were obviously of running around looking under cushions for a small wooden infant, this is going to show my age, there was a period of my 20s where there was that bit of Christmas that was all about watching the next Lord of the Rings movie. Anyone? No. Anyway, for me... It was like, you had to wait a whole year for the next bit of the book. And I knew the ending because I'd read the book. But still, how were they going to do the spider? And how were they really going to do that final battle? Because it's so big. And what's Wardor going to look like? I've got to wait two years to find that out. And so before the next movie would come out, I would always buy the DVD and watch the last year's movie. And then when the last one came out, I'd have to watch two movies. And it's quite a lot of time to dedicate. But there's that anticipation of, like, I've had to wait for this. And I'm really, really excited because I've waited for two years to see the end of this film because he's stretched it out over three movies. And waiting is actually almost as good as seeing it. Because once you've seen it, you're like, I've seen it now. Like, the anticipation's gone. 
I don't know what it is. It might not be the Lord of the Rings. It might have been the bodyguard that you actually watched live rather than watching it on catch-up. Or it might have been the night manager. Did anyone... The night manager I was watching live, I was like, I can't wait a week to find out what happens next. I am like that. I apologise. But there's that, that expectation. Now we can just do catch-up TV. It's not the same as when you used to have to wait a week for the next episode. Because it brought something up in you. The waiting, the preparation, the excitement. And there's scientific evidence quoted in Theories of Happiness that proves that dwelling on a promise is really, really good for our mental well-being. It just helps you to think about like, the good stuff that's coming. It's really good for you. It, it can really help you. So secular therapists, as well as Bible-believing ones, advocate the use of a gratitude journal because that helps you to be thankful. It might be thankful for the things that are coming or the things that happened that day. It doesn't make anything extra happen, but what you're doing is you're dwelling on the goodness and you're taking time out to think about the things that bring you joy. Searching's not easy. Advent's not easy because like, the kids would quite like it to be Christmas now and have all the stuff, but it's important that they wait and they think and they ponder and they quietly treasure these things. Searching, we don't want to do it because it's hard because we want to have those things now. And when you're in the desert place and you need the living water, it makes it doubly hard to look. But it's good for us to spend time focusing on the thing that we are looking for, even if we haven't quite 100% found him yet. He has found you. You are found. You don't need to worry about that. But sometimes we're in the situation where we haven't quite found him in where we're at. And reminding ourselves of the times where we have found him, going back to the places in the word where he's spoken to us, dwelling on it, opening a little door every day, and dwelling on who he is, reminding ourselves of what it is we're waiting for, that's so important to our journey as people, to finding our saviour. Sometimes you need to look behind the clothes and the customers to find the little boy that you let go of his hand. Sometimes you need to move a few boxes to find the door at which he's knocking. You might need to ditch your plans or make new connections, release your expectations, set aside your experience and look somewhere you're not expecting to look. But you are changed in the process of searching for your saviour. So this year, I just want to challenge you to use this period of Advent to remind yourself that you're looking for your saviour in whatever situation that is for you. And it's going to be different for each one of you. But we all need to keep looking for our saviour. And it's not a bad thing to be looking. It doesn't mean you're not a good Christian because you haven't got him in your sight all the time. It just means that you're a real Christian because you're constantly looking for him in all the changes that happen around you. It is good news to be someone on a search for a saviour in every area of their lives. We can take joy in the anticipation that he will be found because he wants us to get to the door and open it. He wants to come in and eat with us. He will be found. Jesus is knocking this morning. And there's another knocking in that first story of Christmas when his earth dad is trying to find a rim for him to be born, but they keep turning him away. They open the door, but they don't let him in. And the innkeepers who did not let him in missed something. They couldn't make space for the saviour. I'm very sorry, we're too full. There's far too much going on with everything else that I have right now to sustain my business, to look after my family, to get through this very busy season of census time, that I cannot let you in. They heard the knocking. They even got to the door. But at that last hurdle, 
They couldn't make space for him. And this morning we have the opportunity to make space because they missed out on something that they probably didn't realise they were searching for, but we know that we need to search. And they missed out on their life change. And we get to choose this morning. We get to choose. Am I going to get up? Am I going to open the door? And am I going to let him in? Because we need to be people who are willing to do that, no matter what the journey is going to look like for us. Because there is a world full of people out there who need us to search for the Saviour every day so that we can help them to see that he is their Saviour too. And so we're just going to sing together and just dwell on some of those things and see what God is saying to you this morning.